Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Well, hello again, and welcome to episode 48 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. I'm your host, Brian Wayne, and this week I'll be raising my glass to all the books that came out on the 11th of September 2019, as well as talking about everything relevant to the world of comic books. Full disclosure, this is a spoiler-based podcast, so be prepared, but in all fairness, I do put in timestamps in the description, so feel free to jump to the designated book you care to listen to, if you're not into spoilers. Uh, beyond that, I do drop some, uh, cussy words, so, yeah, little ears and those who are easily offended, good luck. Uh, now that all that's been said, let's get on with the show. Let's start out with a little bit of news, we're gonna start with a little bit of Marvel news, this is kinda sad. Um, Guardians of the Galaxy is going to be ending, number 12, Donny Cates, so uh, we're, we're going to get a 12-parter here, I would imagine it's going to go out with a bang, and uh, it really, really kind of makes me wonder what the fuck might actually happen with Rocket now, because he's looking like he did, and if they're going to, or about to die at least, he's not looking good, um, and uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's kind of a bummer i've really been liking guardians uh my wallet's happy <laughs> but i mean in all fairness i'm it's not about the money if you yeah I, it sucks the book's ending i don't know i keep saying that i must mean it really means something to me right let's just keep moving on let's get on to something a little happier uh when one door closes another one opens right this door opened in uh the world of dc frank miller making a comeback he's gonna do our black label book again and uh we've got some more dark knight returns happening folks this is dark knight Returns golden child and this is going to be a black label one shot a 48 pager uh frank miller's telling the story rafael grampa and jordi belair on the artistic team and the story is going to take place three years after master race which i did not read but now I got a pretty good gist of what's going on, or what happened in Master Race. <laughs> so this is going to focus around the son of Superman and Wonder Woman. And from my understanding, there was a daughter that was kind of centralized in the uh, uh, Master Race story. So, uh, and the son apparently was only shown as an infant. So now, yeah, uh, this this one shot's going to focus around him, and Miller's described it as, you know, he wants to see the contrast between the brother and the sister, and, I mean, let's face it, it's uh, the son of, and or the sibling, or, 
the children, there we go, that's the word, of Superman and Wonder Woman, so imagine. I'm intrigued. I, I, I know that a lot of people aren't really on the Frank Miller bandwagon anymore, and I, I, I guess I get it, kinda, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I don't think that just because someone that has done something brilliant does a couple of things that aren't so revered suddenly um, warrants just complete dissociation from him. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm not buying into it yet, but maybe I just haven't been as disappointed as all you other disassociated... Try that word again. Disassociated home bitches. So, yeah. Um, well, that's that's all I really got for the news. There was, a, there was a bunch of little stuff happening, you know, stuff coming out, but... I don't know, it's stuff months down the road. The good news is, I really, I, the story is, is there's really good stuff coming here soon, guys. So, uh, yeah, that's that's all I got for the news. Let's let's get on to the overviews. Once again, there are timestamps in the description, so if there's something that uh, you don't, you're not ready to be, you know, uh, you're not ready to have spoiled for you yet, or you want it to be left to complete surprise, I give you the opportunity to easily skip ahead, so... Yeah, well, let's get on with it. We're going to start out with some indies like I tend to do. We're going to start out with Action Lab Danger Zone. Banjax number four. We recently had Rylan Grant on the podcast, if you're not aware, and that dude's interesting as book. <laughs> and he writes an amazing comic. As a matter of fact, so good that he's nominated for a couple of Ringos. So, yeah, but let's, let's get on to his most recent settle up, huh? say you're only as good as your last project. I don't really buy that when when it comes to the comic book industry. But uh his last the last thing he did really fucking good. Banjax number 4, Rylan Grant, Fabio Alves and Edson Ferreira covered by the same team. So this issue's picking up just a little bit after where the uh, third one left off and what really went down in issue three to kind of give you a quick catch up is Mason Laird, aka Banjax. He discovered Abel Reigns, aka Gyros, a uh, little secret to his team of, you know, taking down motherfuckers like Banjax. And that is the C227 drug. Well, once Banjax discovered it, essentially he. He was already more badass than anyone out there. That's why this drug had to be created, so that, you know, teams of people could stand a chance against a non-drugged-up Banjax. Well, imagine when Banjax gets the drug, and he's not worried about side effects, because he's already been given a very short period of time to live. That's really the premise of this whole story. Um, so, yeah, um... That's, that's what the fuck's going on here. So now that Banjax is whooping all that ass... Gyro suddenly looks like a little bitch in the media's eyes and Gyrotech's eyes. That's essentially the the one backing his whole idea and movement and yada yada yada. So yeah, um, Gyrotech essentially they said, dude, you've made us look so bad. We're liquidating our stock. We're separating everything from you. You're no longer associated with Gyrotech at all. Uh, yeah, peace, bitch. So, naturally, uh, Abel, he's, he's struggling with that, and he's, you know, they're talking with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend's like, oh, no, everything could be better, and yeah, near, 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 near. Well, she's got this syringe in her hand when they go to embrace each other in this moment of, oh, everything's going to be okay, and she sticks his ass, 
And she explains, uh, while she's doing that, they're really kind of having a conversation without knowing <laughs> about what's in that syringe without really him knowing that there even is a syringe. And that is essentially that when Banjax compromised all of the C-227 out there by breaking into the facility and making sure that not even Abel has the ability to obtain it anymore, what no one knew, apparently except for Abel's girlfriend, is that there was a secret uh, pumped-up better version being developed. And since no one knew about it, who knew to take it? And that's what's in that vial. And she sticks him, and he goes crazy for a second. He's like, hey, bitch, told you I was done. <laughs> but suddenly he starts seeing clearly again, and it all comes down. He's like, all right, you know what? Let's go fuck some shit up. So it hits the streets, and immediately he's caught saving a rape. Um, well, yeah. Uh, he So he looks good in the public's eyes suddenly, and then over time, you know, he gains his momentum again and says, all right, bitch, let's go. I've got this new team together. And, uh, yeah, it's <laughs> what's great is if you're into, uh, you know, uh, what, what do you call it, Easter eggs, and you're into Rocky, there's a really good one in here for you because that robot... Yeah, very much in this story, and uh, that's that's kind of relating to this this new resurgence that Abel's having. And yeah, I'm not gonna say in what capacity. I'm not gonna say how. I'm gonna still leave leave you guys to still want to read this book. You know, it's yeah, <laughs> I can't tell you everything. But the fact is, is that if you're a Rocky fan, you're gonna fucking really really appreciate this book. It's already badass in itself. It didn't need any help with a uh, with a a fun Easter egg to make it badass. But yeah, no, that's that's my point there. Um, and yeah, well, what it comes down to really is that a battle in the end, um, Abel and Gyro, they, they go face to face. Now, what I'm not going to say is how it ends up because like I said, this is, you know, with Marvel and DC comics, maybe even image comics at times, I'm not really, I don't have a problem with completely spoiling everything, but with these indie comics, I still want you to go out and drop some money on their fucking books. <laughs> it is part of the my my, mat, my method, if you will. But at the same time, yeah, I, you will enjoy it. It's not just a marketing method. These I'm not in, nobody's in each other's pockets here between me and the creators. I just want to say that now. But I I want there there's still lots of other stuff to be desired and and these indie books, yeah. <laughs> there's some some things just can't be spoiled. And I will say one thing, is that this is definitely, it gives a lot of promise to the next season, season or arc if you're a comic book fan. But <laughs> uh, Rylan likes to uh, refer to his stories as seasons, because, you know, he's a movie guy. But at the same time, this, this book feels like a fucking movie. It's, this really all feels just like the first act. It's great. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, uh, this is the, the fourth part to Banjax, and I highly fucking recommend it, especially, like I said, that, whew, that ending, so good. Let's move on to IDW now. We've got Canto, number four. David M. Boer, Drew Zucker, and Vittorio Stone, covered by Zucker and a Stone. So we know Canto and his little Malarax friend, they're, they're off to the City of Dis, and when they get to the City of Dis... They get to the gates, they're greeted by a couple of giants. And these giants, well, they're not going to let them in. But at the same time, they're trying to get in. This uh, mysterious woman, she walks up, saying, you know, claiming she has no relation. And it's all 
completely coincidental that two people, two separate parties want to get in at the same time. And yeah, there's no, been no indication that she's with them at all. She just says, look, I'm here to offer up a trade so I could feed some of my starving people. I just, yeah, I, I just need to get into town so I can do some bartering and shit. Well, giants, they're not having it, but this, uh, this, this woman, she's able to somehow Jedi mind trick their dumbass giants into kind of bickering with each other so much that they don't even see the Malarex and Kanto and this lady get in through the door. And when they do finally come to and realize, or I wouldn't say come to, she really doesn't put a spell on them or anything. She just realizes that giants are so hateful, but they hate nothing more than themselves. <laughs> when you could pit the two against each other, it's uh, it's pretty easy to get them going because they're just a, a self-hating type of, yeah, a breed of race i don't fucking know words god damn it why do i do a podcast <laughs> um yeah so that they they get in and when they do uh, they they kind of you know they go their separate ways because like i said they had no they weren't there together they just she was able to oh, if i'm going you guys might as well come in too kind of thing well while kanto's all up in the city of dis trying to make his way towards the hooded man he realizes he's being followed by these witches. And then, wouldn't you know that... N- <laughs> Try again, Brian. Jeez. Wouldn't you know it, that mysterious nameless woman shows up again. And she... Shoo! Shoo, you little bitches. Witches. And, uh, yeah. And she explains, okay, these witches are actually called Furies. And they are manifestations of the Hooded Man. And we get a whole explanation of, you know, her... Uh, perception of the hooded man because we've had at least one you know explanation of what the hooded man is now and she goes into a little bit more depth on all of it and uh yeah looks like we're gonna end off with a little fighty fighty scene between the furies and uh yeah some some canto some malarex and this mysterious woman i think she has I think she knows what the fuck Kanto's uh, up to. Either that, or she didn't and just became instantly intrigued. Either way, I'm digging the shit out of Kanto. Let's move on to Image Comics. We've got Outer Darkness, number 10, John Lehman and Afu Chan, covered by Afu Chan. Uh, well, it's horror, man. It's really coming into its its horror feel. And I say that every issue. Well, ha- well not every issue, obviously. Um, but the last couple, and this one again, I don't know if it was as horrific visually, but, um, as far as the, the idea of all, and the, the, the way it's paced, storytelling wise, the, the, oh, it's done so well. It, it really is. This is, well, well done. <laughs> it's cool to see Layman really doing the horror thing on another level. So we've got Crone, who is kind of the old lady and advisor to the captain. And she fears something's wrong on account of her other half, her sister, the other, the night side of her. She's, yeah, she's gone missing. Well, she's explaining that to Captain Reg, he has no interest at all. And so he gets so annoyed and really just kind of explodes. And I don't say kind of explodes. He shut the fuck up and punches her in the fucking face. <laughs> yeah, that's a little overboard, right? Well, everyone recognizes that was that was a bit of an overreaction, and even his best buddy, his first mate, Ogwe, he takes him to the rig, and he's like, you kind of hit that lady in the face really hard, and this is not you. You should probably think about what the fuck's going on right now. 
Well, I, I gotta mention throughout this book, the thing that makes the storytelling of this book as great as it is, is that we keep getting flashes of the uh, them referring to now. And that, so what that's saying is all of the stuff that we're seeing, uh, as far as the actual story that's playing out, has already happened. So, and when they say now, what we're seeing are all these characters, uh, they're, they're kind of entangled in these vines, and they're, they're out of it, they're, they look like they're dead, to be honest, but kind of like an invasion of the body snatchers type of vibe is kind of what I'm getting out of it. But, uh, the thing is, is that there's an exorcist on the, on the ship. Uh, oh shit, what's his name? Reno. Yeah, uh, exorcist Reno. Um, so he's, he's really the one that's, you know, he's, he's recognizing what these vines are and all that shit. And, um, but I, I'm, I'm gonna save that. <laughs> uh, so, well, Riggs is locked up in the brig. Uh, the ship needs a new captain. It's not Agwe, it's Prakash. So Prakash is now the acting captain, and she realizes that, oh shit, that's the Talos motherfucker's on loose. And he's out there with Sato Shin. Well, next time we see those two, they're at Riggs' cell. And it looks like they're about to throw down. Well, they're not affected by this vine thing, obviously. And that's all explained when Reno shows up. And he does what he does to kind of save the day. And that's when it's all explained. These vines are called hate blossoms. And really what they're doing is all of this shit that they think they're seeing... Uh, him punching the old lady in the face and all this other shit, <laughs> that's actually all just a hallucination. And it's, it's, but it's just causing, like, these rage bursts, and... Yeah. Uh, there, there's so much more to it than I'm actually explaining, but the fact is there's a twist. And, well, once Riggs comes to and realizes, oh shit, it's all in my head, and he realizes, oh, it's a talus, by the way. Uh, I'm gonna feed you to the engine now. I'm fucking done with your shit. You're gonna die. And that's where this issue leads off. I, I leaves off. I'm. <laughs> I liked how this one went. I like the pacing of the story. How you know we'd get this weird thing that's going on, and you just flash over to this completely blued over um, type of panel, just showing all of this like what the fuck is going on type of shit. And then we go right back to the story. But you know, like I said. The story that we're reading all took place in the past. I don't know. It's, it's it's just great fucking storytelling. Period. Let's. Well, we've got more image. Let's go on to Reaver, number three. Uh, Justin Jordan, Rebecca Isaacs, and Alex Guimaras. Covered by Becky Clunin. All right. Well, our little ragtag team of fuck-ups, they approach uh, an Escaline outpost. So they're on their way to Anvil. But first, they need some shit at this outpost. And the shit they need is these specific set of papers and the head of, well, uh, the an Escaline intelligence officer. I just need his head. So, well, out of this team, the three that are sent are Rakala, our crazy little wild card, badass little skin eating bitch, and Sergeant Mahan, our what the fuck is he doing in there guy, 
<laughs> but, uh, the, you know, they each have their own parts, but the, apparently there's some sort of language barrier that's going to take place, so they got to also send in the, the very, very creepy and rapey Styrian, and he kind of dictates the, the, the dialogue that's going to, to be carried out between all this. So everybody goes off, they do their own little mission, they, make, they get into the uh, Escaline outpost, and it seems like everything's going fine until Rakala is kind of called out or caught doing, you know, bad things in the city by a citizen and to make sure that she doesn't get called out, she says, you know what, I'm just gonna fuck it, burn the whole town down. <laughs> so she does, and the three make it out with the head and the papers. Well, you would think, what the fuck are they doing with the head? Uh, they pull out these tools and apparently they, they're going to cut the information out of this intelligence officer's brain. And yeah, that's uh, <laughs> such a fun book. It really is. Two kind of slipped on me for a second. I thought, uh-oh, don't do this. I really like the first one. You're suddenly making this kind of... But three came right back into it. And I like the fact that there's there's a character in here that... We're, we're going to be stuck with, more than likely, that is just the most hateable motherfucker out there. This Styrian dude, I had my, uh, my skepticism the first time I saw him in action. And that skepticism was completely confirmed in this issue. What was that skepticism? He's a kid diddler. And a fucking creepy one at that. Unfortunately, beyond kid diddling, he is good at what he does, and he is a vital member of this team. I hope they could figure out a way to replace his ass real quick and fast, because no one loves a kid diddler. Yeah, I think even kid diddlers hate themselves. So, yeah, I, I don't know, man. Uh, fuck a Styrian, that's for sure. Uh, I think Justin Jordan said he described him as a monster. And, yeah, very much a monster. But these other monstrous type of characters, the ones that look like monsters in here, really are my favorites. Like Rakala and, oh fuck, I forgot the big barbarian motherfucker's name, but, oh, anytime he's in panel. He was, I think he was on panel four times in this book, didn't have any dialogue from my recollection. Still the most badass moments of the book. He's just, ugh, fucking metal, dude. Metal as shit. Let's move on to Boom Studios. We've got some Power Rangers action. Go-Go Power Rangers, to be precise. Go-Go Power Rangers, number 23. Ryan Parrott, Cena Grace, Francesco Mortarino, and Raul Angulo. Covered by Ivan Chavron. So, we know that War Bunny's on the loose on account of Lord Zed. Being a prick, turning Mr. Tinkle Fluff, or I really forgot his name, sorry. <laughs> but uh, uh, he turned into a goddamn giant rage bunny. So they're all up at Angel Grove. Well, all four of the Power Rangers. Here's the thing. It's the fifth ranger, Jason. He's he's talking with old shit. I forgot the goddamn. See, I don't know any. Still don't know any of these new rangers' names. He's talking with the one of this entity type of powerful ranger i don't know good lord <laughs> i need some help with power rangers clearly fact is he's seeing this future and that's keeping him from being able to be communicated to um by alpha so keeps going to voicemail 
and eventually, after he sees what he sees, he's able to get the call. He goes to Angel Grove, and they're able to form a... No, it's not a Megazord. I don't know what the fuck they call it, but they form it, and they whoop up on War Bunny, and War Bunny goes back to Fluffy Dicks, and Trini decides, you know what? This volunteer shit is for the birds. I am clearly a target, and I gotta stop hanging around all these innocent people and shit. I know it's weird logic, but okay. I think she's just trying to get out of being a fucking volunteer. I get it. Whatever excuse you got. It's cool, Trini. It's cool. That's just my opinion, man. And, uh, yeah, so, um, throughout all that, somehow history has changed, and because of Jason's stuff and all that weird shit that I couldn't explain. Like I said, I enjoy Power Rangers, I suck at comprehending it, but I think I just like seeing the five on, on, on you know, on, in a comic, and, yeah, that's just the nostalgia in me. I really do apologize for being so shitty at describing these Power Rangers books, but, uh, it is what it is. There was a war bunny. He's not a war bunny anymore. Trini quit, and history was changed because Jason's about to see some shit. That's really... I could have just said that, huh? <laughs> war bunny was cool. Collapser, number three, moving on to DC. This is part of the DC young animal stuff. And, frankly, Collapser, fucking dope. Really, really, really good. I based off of the first young animal thing I read in uh, Doom Patrol, I was skeptical, especially with the character I had. I don't know what the fuck who who's Collapser. Well, this this book has done an amazing job. It really has. We got Mikey Way, Sean Simon, uh, Ilias Kriazis, and Chris Peter, covered by Ilias Kriazis. So. We have our Liam, and we've got this old man, Mr. Egger, from the funeral home, or the nursing home. Soon-to-be funeral home, if he's uh, <laughs> not careful. And, uh, yeah, well, he explain, er, explains to Liam, I am a black hole. This is just kind of a, a personification form, if you will. And he goes into explaining kind of the, the vastness of what a black hole is and what it brings about, and, you know, it says, well, Loch Ness, that has to do with a black hole. Uh, Bermuda Triangle, black hole. Uh, you, you get the point. I can keep going on, but black hole's responsible for a lot of weird shit. And then he says, well, here's my connection to you, Liam. Yo, daddy, he kidnapped me way back in the day. He had this partner, uh, what was his partner's name? Thro Baron Throw. And they had these plans that once they were able to track down a black hole, and they said, well, if we can use this in the way we want, we can colonize this utopian planet and just be badasses. Well, they, they obtained the black hole, and once that happens, uh, Baron Throw, he's just kind of set aside. He completely turns his... Or, yeah, Leon completely turns his back on him, and... Yeah, uh, we flash forward to Leon meeting Liam's mother, and now it's their turn. They're going to go colonize the planet, but when Leon or Liam's mother realizes that he's becoming a tyrant, she is able to trap him to where he can't be bad anymore, but in turn, she ends up dead. Well, Mr. Egger, old man Egger Blackhole, shows up to tell Leon, yo daddy, he may be back, and 
I'm here to kind of show you how badass it is to have me inside of you. So <laughs> and yeah, uh, he, uh, Collapser, or well, the soon-to-become Collapser, Liam, he accepts the responsibility, and not long after, he becomes a national treasure. He's a famed superhero. He's making all well again. Has a very thriving DJ career on top of it all. But the issue is, is the the ones that he loved, his girlfriend and his other friends, they've been kind of ignored, put on the back burner on account of he's a super famous superhero DJ now. So, hmm. And, uh, yeah, well, while all that's going on, um, well, yeah, I mean, there, there's more to it. Uh, you know, there's a, as far as the jealousy between the girlfriend and uh, the shitty boyfriend, Liam, because he meets his manager. What's her name? Uh, why am I asking you? Vanessa Volt. Yeah, meets her. So, there's, you know, some tension and some jealousy. And while all that bullshit's going on and the vanity and all of that stuff, we've got some new threats creeping all up on Earth. I hope Collapse... I mean, Collapser, I think, is only going to be a six issue, I believe. I better go more than four. Uh, yeah, but I have been digging it way more than I expected. This is actually a book of the week contender, to be honest. I, it just, I didn't expect them to drop so much new information that was so digestible, and I gotta give credit to, uh, Mikey Way on that one, so, good on you, dude. And the art's incredible as well, all the way throughout. I, I, it's, it's easy to comprehend, it's, it's a brand new concept. I, I like that. I've never heard of a superhero controlling black holes in this manner. I'm not saying it's the first, just because I haven't... Uh, it's the first I've heard of it, so don't fucking hang me, you goddamn nerds. But to me, I think it's an amazing new concept. So I, I hope that Collapser makes his way into the relevant DC universe. I, I really do. This is good shit. Let's keep it going. Um, what, what is next? Yeah, Detective Comics, number 1011, Peter J. Tomasi, Christian Deuce, and Luis Guerrero, sorry, I'm my arse there, covered by, uh, Gilm March and Arif Prianto. So, mm-hmm, this was, <laughs> oh man, uh, there, there's one specific panel in here that it was so good I actually made the phone on my wallpaper. Uh, just be, uh, this is a quick and fast read. It really is. Essentially, we know that Bruce is trapped on an island. We've got these two World War II vets, uh, that were former enemies that have come to be, uh, pretty much lifelong buddies, completely disassociated from society for all these years. They have no idea that, you know, Batman's a thing or anything about anything, uh, post-World War II. But they do know that a plane crashed on their island, and they have a little bit of information that Bruce is able to use, so Bruce kind of teams up with them in a sense. They set all these traps for, for Deadshot. Uh, Deadshot does get a shot off on, oh shit, which one is it? Hiroshi. And not fatal, not fatal, but it's enough to piss Bruce the fuck off. And, you know, Bruce does end up prevailing, beats Deadshot. And uh, the rescue team arrives for all the other plane crash victims, and yeah. Now the th the thing that makes me smile so much is the the fact that Bruce maintains this relationship 
with Clarence and Hiroshi. And he gives them these communication devices. Because, I mean, at this point, they've been away for so long. Going back would just be probably way too much for them. I mean, 40 years... Well, it's been over 40. It's been a long time. Math. Uh, <laughs> history. But, uh, they, uh... Uh, they, they, they're able to eat better now because of Bruce. And, you know, he drops in some real snacks. But, the, like I said, the thing that makes me smile is the smile on Bruce's face when he drops off those care packages. I've never seen Bruce Wayne or Batman have such a shit-eating grin on his face. And it's because he's helping a couple of just random-ass old fogies that... Years and years and years ago, they risked their lives for their countries, despite whatever the cause was. They were both incredibly brave human beings. And they were able to come together and form this relationship that started out of hatred. And now he's there to help them carry out the last years of their life in really the best way they could possibly live it without having a heart attack and coming back and seeing smartphones and shit like that. So, uh... The, the, the smile on Bruce Wayne's face has made it to the, my phone wallpaper. Oh, fuck. Buy the book just for that panel. If you're not even into Batman, into any... Oh, it's You can't help but just feel warm seeing that panel. Seriously, it's, it's amazing. It really is. It's amazing. That was Detective Comics. So, Detective Comics, 1011. A-plus book. Batman, number 78. Tom King Clay Man... This is a City of Bane interlude. We're going to get a two-piece interlude. Tom King, you dirty rascal. Uh, I will say one thing. It's Clay Man on the art, so it's fucking beautiful. It could be written in goddamn Arabic. And I'm going to enjoy this book. Because it's... it's Clay Man's a stunning artist. It's, it's, it's perfection. But, I mean, the story in itself, it's, I'm not saying the story's bad, I just, I don't like these particular types of stories. Well, what's going on? Uh, Bruce Wayne and Catwoman, they're on an island, uh, completely ignorant that Alfred's neck is all wiggly and snapped and whatnot. And Catwoman's trying to get him back into the, the right mindset. But, the, you know, they keep going to kiss, and then they pull away, and then they kiss, and they pull away. And then in the end, they kiss, because Bruce says something that gets Catwoman all juicy. So, I don't fucking know. It's... I don't like love story books. You know, if this... If they would have flashed over to, you know, I don't know, just a one, one torture scene. One torture scene with Bane and Robin. I would have been fine with that. I would have said, you know what? Cool. Cool. Keep it dark, motherfucker. This was some sappy-ass bullshit. Sorry. I'm 100% the wedding is going to happen. 100%. So, mm, no. Uh, that was Batman number 78. It's going to... There's one more of these interlude issues. It's probably going to be the... Uh, I would imagine at this point it's going to be an over drawn Tommy Wiseau-esque type of sex scene the way Tom King likes to do his bat and cat shit I don't know 
I love you, Tom King. I do. I just know you're better than this. And you like to write what you write. It's fine. Just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's bad. But fuck a love story. This is Batman, motherfucker. Uh, Vent Lion Biafran, number four. Brian Michael Bendis and Alex Maleev. Alex Maleev on the cover. So, Superman, he's at the Batcave, and he's explaining how he's a failure. <laughs> uh, he did not save Amanda Waller. Uh, like that last issue led us to believe he was going to. As a matter of fact, it almost, if anything, it, uh, it made him look like a bitch. Uh, it didn't look like Amanda Waller was there to team up with Leviathan at the time. But when it was all said and done, Leviathan and Amanda Waller... They gone, and Superman is left uh, with nothing. So he's, you know, okay, yeah. You know, uh, well, if Waller is Leviathan, and they were both seen in the same spot, obviously Leviathan is an idea and not a person, or at least that's an idea. <laughs> And no one knows what the fuck's going on. So Superman's explaining, he goes, and he's back at the Batcave, but Superman also says, look, I don't want any of these other detectives in the room while I'm telling you all this shit. All the shit that I just said. Because uh, <laughs> um, everyone's a suspect. He's only cool with talking with Bruce and Lois Lane. So he lays all that out. Meanwhile, all the other detectives are out in the other room, pretty much, pretty much blaming each other. <laughs> I think you're the blah blah. You know, like I said, it's at this point. I think people are more convinced that Leviathan is an idea, and not a person. Because for all we know, they could have all worn the Leviathan mask at this point. But like I said, that's that's just a theory. So while all that's going down, uh, you know, all the detectives they regroup, or yeah, they get back together. The door opens up, and they're all communicating again, and they realize that Lois is gone. She took one of Bruce Wayne's cars, and she's like, okay, no, you guys are cool with this, right? Bye. And she takes off. Well, she's being watched. Silencer has eyes on Wayne Manor. So she's kind of weirded out. She's like, why the fuck is Lois Lane and Bruce Wayne's car? Oh, shit, are they fucking? So, yeah, that's the <laughs> it's kind of the idea you get there. Or at least the idea that Silencer gets there. Well... Uh, well, Lois Lane's peacing out, uh, the, the Batcave gets a message from Batgirl saying, hey, and come to find out that all of the major intelligence organizations have, in fact, been 100% completely compromised by Leviathan and that whole thing. So, yeah, uh, that's, that's a big deal, right? All of them, though? It was almost all of them, but apparently now all of them. Well, we go back to Lois Lane, she parks, gets out of the car, and you realize that she's got a whole new set of detectives that she's working with. If Leviathan is Lois Lane, then um, <laughs> that's going to be so fucking cool. But I think that's almost too obvious at this point, because she's playing all these angles, and yeah, I, I really don't think anyone's going to see it coming. It's Booster Gold, that's my guess. Le Leviathan's Booster Gold. So... <laughs> Well, who are these other detectives? Some of them might not even know were detectives, like uh, Zatanna and Deathstroke. Didn't know they were detectives, but we've got Constantine and even Bullock. He's on there. You know, the commission's fucking guy. Uh, Harvey Bullock, I believe, is his name. Yeah. And then I th there's more, but those are the, really the big names. So, 
I thought it was, uh, once again, I was, I didn't have a whole lot of faith in Event Leviathan going into this, but son of a bitch. It just keeps getting better. I like it. I really do. I like the detective factor. I like all these characters in the same room together. You know, Green Arrow and Mr. Terrific talking back and forth has been in some of my favorite favorite moments in the series so far. So, good on you, Brian Michael Bendis. This is, this is good stuff, man. And that, I guess that does it for DC. Let's move on to Marvel Comics. Silver Surfer Black, number four, Donny Cates, Tradmore, Dave Stewart. More and Stewart on the cover. All right. Well, we know that Surfer, he's come across the incubator of the one that will be known as Galactus. And he's, he's faced with this decision. What do I do? I have the ability to make sure that Galactus never exists. So he says, you know what? I'm going to punch this thing into a fucking star. And when he does that, we get some interference from Uatu. And Surfer even says, uh, aren't you not supposed to interfere? And they're like, dude, you just, no, we're, f we all agree on this one. This was stupid, bro. We need a balance and you can't do this. If you do, hmm, no, don't. So, uh, he says, well, uh, what, what, what if I just got into the mind of Galactus and I'm able to convince him that way? Can you, can you do that for me, Uatu? So... Uh, through the visceral plane, Galactus has a conversation with Silver Surfer. And it comes down to, essentially, Galactus, you know, he's being told what he will become in the future, and he's not super cool with it, but at the same time, he, he explains to, to Surfer, do what you must, but know that you cannot f defeat darkness with dark. So, um, yeah, that's, that's your decision. Well, uh, go, Surfer, you know, he comes back out of the, you know, Galactus's head. And he has this epiphany. What this epiphany is, we don't know. But he realizes, oh, I figured this shit out. So he punches the incubator, but this time away from the star. And he goes to planet Arcafia. Which ends up being the first planet the Galactus eats after he hatches in the future. So the the course of the universe has been set, hasn't been interfered with. But yeah, uh, he 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 knows what he needs to do. He goes, oh shit, I'm gonna go back to Ego. I need Ego's help. So he goes to Ego and says, I got it. And Ego says, oh shit, you do got it. We don't know what it is yet, but he's got it. And he says, hey, I need you to help me connect to all life. And we need to channel this light. And this light's channeled, and nah, that's how that issue ends. <laughs> it's Visually, it's freaking stunning as it always is. This, this art style is unlike any... I'm telling you, we haven't seen art like this since Jack Kirby. And uh, you, we, we haven't. I, at least I haven't. Nothing, nothing on this level. Usually when you go bright and vibrant and colory like this, and super abstract, it's too hard on the eyes. This just finds up perfect balance it really does it's incredible on every single level Tradmore and Dave Stewart are turning Donny Cates' story into a I think this will end up being a, a considered a masterpiece when it's all said and done it's it's incredible let's let's keep the Marvel talk going with Amazing Spider-Man number 29 legacy numbering 830 Nick Spencer Francisco Mana and Carlos Lopez 
cover by Ryan Otley and Nathan Fairbain. So, uh, MJ, she gets a movie role, Cross Country. And, you know, Pete, he, he acknowledges, okay, no, you got to do what you got to do. It's cool. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be good. But at the same time, he's also really fucking sick and tired of this constant cycle of my time with MJ is always interfered with. Despite her understanding of my powers and responsibilities, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really fucking over it. And I got to figure out a way to break a cycle. Oh, shit, that cycle's starting again. And that happens when he goes to get advice from Aunt May, saying, oh, is she going to leave me, and all this other shit. She says, no, you're fine. But throughout that conversation, Teresa Parker knocks on the door. And apparently this is Peter's sister from S.H.I.E.L.D. Didn't know this person existed, but she's got a secret spider identity as well, and she's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent or some shit like that. And she explains to Peter that I need your help. And my super secret agent by the name of David Albright, friend, has been captured by the chameleon. And yeah, so we see that, that sequence with chameleon and agent Albright. And you know, obviously having a shield agent has many, many advantages. But chameleon apparently has other motives despite what his crew thinks. And apparently this Agent Albright person has knowledge of the whereabouts of somebody that Chameleon is really, really dedicated to find. Uh, we don't know who that is, but yeah. And he's got this, this weird machine that pretty much 99% of the time, once it extracts that information out of your brain, it kills you. Well, uh, like I said, Teresa's aware of this, and she needs Spidey to suit up. Well, Spidey's also aware that MJ's getting on a plane and I can't miss this flight because, you know, she's getting ready to hit up this movie role. That's a big deal. It's not just some, you know, B-movie slasher. She's, she's, this is potentially her big, big break. Well, uh, yeah, no, there's a, Chameleon gets away. They find Agent Albright dead. And, uh, yeah, Spidey, if anything, he's like, ah, fuck, we didn't get anything out of this. I missed MJ's flight. We found a dead guy, I guess, but he was still going to be dead when we got here later. So, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's tired of this fucking cycle over and over and over. And we realize that um, as he's beating himself up and he's on FaceTiming MJ, who has already landed in L.A., he, he pulls the, you know, after that call ends, he pulls this ring out of his pocket, and it seems as if uh, he was going to propose. Well, that old idea was shit on by his shield sister. Uh, I thought this issue was, I, I actually think Spider-Man's finally starting to come into itself. These these major retelling of event stories, it's already fucking happened. Uh, I, I hope those are done for a while. I like these little original stories that Spencer's doing, and these little one-shot type of deals. You, you know, you really get the idea of the bullshit that Spider-Man's going through. I almost feel like this was more of a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man type of story, but yeah, no, it's I, I enjoyed it. I really do. I, I did enjoy this one quite a bit. Venom, number 18, Legacy 183, Donnie Cates, Ivan Coelho, and Rain Barreto, covered by Kyle Holtz. This is a absolute an absolute carnage uh, tie-in. So we get glimpses of moments of different uh, angles of events that have already kind of happened through the, the Absolute Carnage title, which I think is fine. The reference 
the referencing is <laughs> it makes everything make so much more sense I, it really does I know for the most part a lot of these tie-ins haven't been completely necessary to uh, as far as understanding absolute carnage and not even that, but uh, venom is a must read I mean and I mean if you're not reading absolute or if you're reading absolute carnage and not venom I you're severely mixed up because that all comes from the pages uh, or absolute carnage comes from venom so this really is a must-read tie-in but nevertheless very very entertaining very fucking entertaining uh, so we know that the sleeper symbiote is there and in the presence of Dylan and Normie and Sleeper's explaining, look, check it out, I'm actually here to help. I'm not a bad symbiote. I came from the planet of the symbiotes, and I saw and sensed some bad shit was afoot, and I came here to make sure none of that shit comes about. So I'm here to help. And then he gets fucking disintegrated. Maker's behind him, he's like, ah, got him. <laughs> he doesn't disintegrate him, essentially d captures him. And now Maker, he's got all of these these symbiotes and their little containment things and he's getting his little codec extracting machine already and you know he's explaining ah, I'm gonna have to do some testing on these other things before I uh, work on you normie well because you know like I said normie he's had a symbiote in him a carnage symbiote as a matter of fact and uh, he um, He's scared shitless. He really is. And he tells Dylan, we need to get the fuck out of here, bro. So now it's Dylan's mission to get Normie the fuck out of there. And they're trying to escape, and they cause the, 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 the distraction that they need to escape by releasing all of those crazy fucking symbiotes that, you know, we're out and about getting ready to kill everything. <laughs> so he lets all of them go. But the thing is, is they all, they all bond with Maker. So now we got a Maker hybrid goddamn beastly looking son of a bitch thing and uh well it's up to dylan <laughs> to stop him and dylan's brave little ass he stands face to face with them and he's ready to go down in his eyes but here's the thing for a second we might actually think oh fuck uh, dylan you might take him. <laughs> I don't know what makes us think that, other than the fact that his eyes get a little glowy, but is he has he bonded with the symbiote? Because Sleeper didn't bond with Maker, and Sleeper was in all those symbiotes that... I don't know. Um, but the thing is, is we don't get the chance to see if Dylan's going to take him out one-on-one -on -one in this issue or not, because the motherfucking Avengers show up. Oh, the Avengers in a Venom book? Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ, this goddamn story's so good. I love Venom so much. This is one of Marvel's best stories easily. Now, let's carry on with these Absolute Carnage tie-ins. And uh, let's, let's talk Symbiote of Vengeance, number one. This is Ed Brisson, Juan Fregueri, and Dono Sanchez Omara. Philip Tan and J. David Ramos did the cover. So, Carnage is after Alejandra. Alejandra is a former carrier, uh, carrier of the, or maybe she still is. 
Um, she essentially, she's in Nicaragua just protecting her village. That's all she cares about. She, she at one point held the, 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 um, Spirit of Vengeance. Maybe she still does, and she's only the Spirit of Vengeance in Nicaragua. I don't know how it works. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm admitting it. I gotta read some, uh, some fucking ghostwriter. That's for damn sure. And then... Yeah, well, Carnage is after her, and she's in trouble. Then we flash over to Danny Ketch. Danny Ketch is being visited by Johnny Blaze. Johnny Blaze is really protecting or projecting himself from hell, because he can't get out of hell right now on account of he's the new king of hell. And he says, look, Danny Ketch, you have to go help Alejandra. And he's like, who's that bitch? And he's like, that bitch is badass, but not badass enough. And even with your badass self, you guys might be enough, not, might not be enough. But go help her. So he goes to Nicaragua, teams up, and she dies. <laughs> and she goes down to the world of spirits of vengeances, I guess. I would have figured it was just hell, but no. This is specifically a, an underworld for former spirits of vengeance. And she says, look, motherfucker. And she's talking to Johnny Blaze and says, I need to go back. And he's like, bitch, I'm new at this. Give me a, give me a fucking minute. I'll figure this out. Oh, I got it. I'll just, uh, I'll possess another body with your spirit in it. So, the body he possesses is this 11-year-old girl. Because who's more capable than an 11-year-old girl, am I right? Or any 11-year-old, for that matter. Uh, but, when you're possessed by, you know, these types of things, you're more than fucking capable. So this 11-year-old girl, she goes up, and, I mean, like I said, this is Alejandra in this body. But yeah, she, uh, she goes and... She fucks some shit up, and it's it's essentially enough for Danny Ketch and her to protect that town. And uh, it's not that Carnage was like, oh shit, I'm defeated. He was like, well, I don't, there's all of the spines that I need are gone in my belly, so don't need to be here anymore. Why am I wasting energy fighting all these motherfuckers? So that, that's why he gets away. But he gets away. And, yeah, well, I don't know, I, I, I don't... I think the main point of the story is now Carnage uh, also has a little bit of Spirit of vengeance stuff kind of going on with him, too, because he's got a badass motherfucking Carnageized Hellbike. So, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't know what other point of this book was, but it was entertaining, it was beautifully drawn, it was it was a fun read, so yeah, why the fuck not? Not everything needs to mean everything, right? And it's just about being entertained in the end. Right? Absolute Carnage vs. Deadpool. Especially about just being entertained in the end. This... <laughs> uh, well, let's start out by giving credit where credit's due. Frank Thierry, Marcelo Ferreira, uh, Roberta Poggi, Andy Owens, and Rachel Rosenberg. Covered by Tyler Kirkham and Arif Prianto. So, uh, DP Deadpool... He is facing a symbiote or helper of Carnage. I don't even know who it is, really. But it's 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 essentially a stalemate. A DP does come out ahead, and uh, Spidey's trying to get a hold of him, and DP's still kind of upset that Spidey shunned him in that first issue for being immature and yada, yada, yada. Really, what we get out of this in the end is... Uh, another Carnage symbiote beyond the one that Deadpool just fucked up appearing. And he's claiming to be Cletus Cassidy, but 
Deadpool immediately is like, ah, Norman, is that you? So, yeah, Norman and his symbiotic self is, yeah, uh, I guess, uh, trying to come off as Cletus Cassidy as Carnage himself while going after Deadpool. So I don't know what the end game to all that is, but like I said, this this book has shown no importance to this story whatsoever at this point. There is still a third issue to this, so it could all mean something in the end. I hope some we get something important out of, important out of this. I mean, the art's great. I think the writing, Deadpool's voice, is uh, way more in line in this one than the first issue. The first issue, I thought, yeah, even Deadpool wouldn't say that. That's super cringe. But this this feels a little bit more on point. Uh, so Terry's coming coming into his voice for Deadpool. But like I said, it was just a, it was a quick flip through. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of action. It was Deadpool being Deadpool. I mean, yeah, good stuff. Keeping it going, Daredevil number eleven, Legacy six twenty three, Chip Zarsky, Marco Cicchetto with back fuckers and Nolan Woodard, covered by Julian Titino Tedesco. Say it every time. I will never get tired of saying that name. Julian Titino Tedesco. So your parents are fucking brilliant. <laughs> Daredevil. Uh, there's a bunch of Daredevil imposters running the streets. That's that's an issue. Can't be having that, especially when you're not fucking Daredevil. You have no abilities, especially fighting abilities. Um, well, Matt, we in that last issue, he was faced with Elektra, and he stands face with her still. And she pretty much says, you're a fucking disgrace, and I'm about to be your new stick, and I'm going to train you, and he says no. Well, he's, even though he declines, he's still very worried that she's going to be following him around and trying to convince him, and following Daredevil around would eventually mean his identity being exposed to her. And that's dangerous as fuck. So... Yeah, he's he's just got so much drama in his life right now. He's fucking a mob boss's wife and all this other stuff. Really, the 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 main the main point of this story doesn't really have as much to do with Daredevil as it does the uh, the supporting cast and Detective Cole. He's kind of kicking himself in the dick because he's torn on the fact that he didn't really. He's he's withholding information. He actually knows stuff about Daredevil now, but Daredevil just saved his ass. So. Is it really worth, I mean, yeah, his perception of him is a little skewed now. But he's still got to be a cop, and he's got to go out, and his mission right now is to detain all of these imposters. And while he's out uh, detaining an, an imposter, Spider-Man interferes. I think that's really fucking cool. Spider-Man, he webs him up and says, you and I, we're going to have a little chat. And essentially what he says is, Daredevil, he's, he's, he's a good thing for this city. And yes, despite what the law says, you can you can uphold the law, or you can save lives. And first of all, that is a badass fucking line. I mean, that Chip Zarsky. I don't know if you can hear me clapping. That's that's fucking mm, fuck the law. Sorry, I don't condone breaking the law, unless it's a stupid one. Uh, <laughs> be your own judge. Um, yeah, so we get that whole thing. But beyond all of that, we still get the fucking Kingpin. And Kingpin, he's not happy with the fuck there. Uh, the owl's been doing. So he's got the owl all up in the desert having a secret meeting. And, you know, normally Kingpin's going to put a fucking bullet in his head. But he says to the owl, 
I'm not the man I used to be when I was a boy. I, uh, no, I, <laughs> sorry. No, he pretty much says this wasn't part of the agreement. You're out being a fucking cocksucker, and yeah, we had a kind of a good thing going. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you on a vacation. Get on my plane, bitch, go to an island, think about what you did, and in that time, I'm going to fix all your bullshit. So Kingpin really does, I mean, he's still a badass in his own way, but now he's just like a big dad, you know, go stand in the corner. So not necessarily the harshest of punishments, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's, there's, something, <laughs> there's something more to all that. But it doesn't matter, because the offer is not accepted by Owl. He's able to escape the, uh, the, the binds that Kingpin and his men have him in, and he fucking takes off and says, fuck you, bitch, and flies away. So, yeah, I would imagine that Kingpin at this point, if he was, didn't already have something fucked up up his sleeve, Owl's fucking dead now. Don't, don't get attached to Owl, people. Kingpin gonna kill him. Daredevil is absolutely amazing, and I could not be happier that Marco Cicchetto uh, and the colors by Nolan Woodard to complement it. Perfect. 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 Doctor Strange, number 19. Mark Wade, Jesus says. So, Doctor Strange is coming to an end at issue 20. I would have thought that we'd get this crazy giant arc to end it all, but actually, no. Uh, and I actually went into this book with zero expectations. I figure at this point they're just gonna, let's just get this shit over with. This was actually a really good fucking story. Uh, very self-contained one-shot type of story. There's a car accident that happens, a mom and her kids, and it happens on a road where this entity is kind of, it's been doomed to that spot, so what it does is essentially it just, causes all these car accidents in the road. So this happens and Strange arrives and this boy, he's hemorrhaging. Well, he ain't no doctor anymore even though he knows exactly what to do. And even then he's really fucking out of practice. And he tells the lady, look, I can't operate on your son. And she says, well, what kind of doctor are you? Well, he has, he realizes, ah, fuck, I gotta try. I, I up, you know, I have this oath to uphold. But at the same time, he's he's very countered with himself and the, the thought that is it right to put the the all of humanity behind this one life and this one child? Well why would you say that? Well in order for him to actually be able to uh, help have any chance at all, not even a guarantee of helping this kid, he has got to go visit Chinook the keeper of the forbidden spells in the astral plane. And these are all the spells that all come at a, a very unknown, mysterious, usually pretty fucked up cost. Sometimes no cost at all. But it's, it's uh, yeah, uh, it could be anything. And, uh, yeah, these, no one goes to these spells. And even when Strange arrives, Shinnok's like, oh, fuck. Okay, there are still things out there. I haven't seen anybody in a while. So it makes you wonder, fuck, no one wants to play with these things. Well, he, he says, all right, I need a spell that's going to restore my hands. And he takes that chance. And he saves that boy. And in the end, you know, you're thinking, okay, what's this price? And I'll be fucking goddamned if 
Somehow, it seems as if there is no price. Strange is more than happy that he has his hands back. He's still super magical. That boy's alive, and all's well. And even throughout the operation, while that stupid goddamn road ghost keeps coming back to fuck shit up, just because he's bored, he's still, I mean, he yeah, it's... He's able to defeat him, too, so he's still got his... Ah, it's badass. It really is. I, I dug this book so much. And the way he defeats him is actually with his words. Um, it's it's incredible. So, yeah, no, I didn't tell you everything. There's still shit to be desired. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I am sad that Doctor Strange is ending. I, I have, I've liked every issue, and I think I kind of got a little jaded when I found out it was ending, and I wasn't getting ready to start this big arc. But now that I think about it, I think this is actually the perfect way to go out. Just drop a couple. You know, a couple of awesome solo stories that are very, very, very much Doctor Strange. And who knows? Maybe there is a lot of weight to this. Maybe that spell did have a great cost. I, I don't know. And, uh, but this, I'm expecting a lot out of issue 20 at this point. My expectations have roller coastered in the last four issues. Uh, they've been pretty plateaued after issue 3 at pretty high. And they it's been living up. But now, hmm, Mark Wade, you gotta go out with the fucking bang, brah. I just honestly, like I, I've said it a few times now, this door closing is just opening another door for another creative team to step up on Doctor Strange, and for Mar another um, property to Mark for Mark Wade and uh, all of the that whole team, Jesus Saez, to start fucking shit up on. And I mean that in a good way, not in a bad way. That's not what I mean when I say fucking shit up. It's it's good the way they fuck shit. <laughs> Uh, let's keep it going. Oh, Powers of Ten. Number four. Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, Marte Garcia, covered by Silva and Garcia. I understand the first half of this book, so I'll talk about that part. This is year one. Xavier and Magneto visit Mr. Sinister, and there's a lot of Mr. Sinisters out there. But they, they get to the one in charge, or at least it seems like the one in charge, and then he ends up getting blasted by the one that actually is in charge. But the whole uh, purpose of their visit essentially is to say, Sinister, we need your genetics knowledge, we need you to uh, clone. Clone the, all of the mutant genes in case some shit goes down. And, uh, yeah, that's, it's a very, that whole meeting is very interesting, very enjoyable dialogue throughout it all. Uh, yeah, I, I liked it. Then we go over to year 1000, and I'm just fucking lost as shit. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, based off the textbook pages that are in there, we know the the the, the Krakoa Krakoan language. Uh, there's there's they explain how it's able to be understood and deciphered without cipher. There to decipher. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. I don't mean to knock this book at all. I've just, for the most part, I feel really fucking stupid reading Powers of Ten because I don't know any of this shit. I was under the impression that you didn't have to know anything about the X-Men to to jump on this new age of X-Men line that Marvel's throwing out on us, but I feel like there's so many old-school references in here that I'm just not understanding, and if I knew all this, I would be able to understand the book much more, or much, much easier. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'm just self-conscious of my inability to understand this book and I'm trying to find an excuse. I don't know. But I understood the first part. I don't, I mean, kinda. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I could tell you that much. 
I'm just, I'm really lost on the this whole X-Men re revival type of thing. I liked, I wish we could have just kept Matthew Rosenberg's. Yeah, I said it. I said it. Matthew Rosenberg should, should, yeah. But if I guess now that I think about it, if he were to keep going, by now they would all be dead. So I guess I understand. <laughs> Not that I have anything against that. Uh, last book of the overviews. King Thor. Number one, Jason Aaron of Soderbeek and uh, Ive Savorsina. Said it wrong. Deal with it. Soderbeek also did the cover. So, way, way, way in the future, we've got Thor's granddaughters, a King Thor, and a Loki, the Necro God. Thor's granddaughters, they were at uh, Omnipotent City at the Hall of All-Knowing. And there is this uh, Shadrock character there. Some sort of god. He doesn't even remember what he's the god of. He's been there so long. But the, uh, the, the daughters, and I could tell you their names, but we'll wait till this, this story advances a little bit more. Because at this point, their names really aren't important. Um, they, uh, they're, they're looking for the nexus of the gods. They need to be able to help day granddaddy fuck up Loki. Loki now has all black, the Necro Sword. That's a problem, and uh, yeah, no, he's he, he's he's really there to just cause all of darkness throughout all of the multiverse or the universe, or whatever the fuck he's out to do. He just wants blackness. He knows he's got to take out Thor. So then we go over the fight between he and Thor. They just jump right the fuck into it. They go from the daughters. Meanwhile, this is what's going on, and it's Loki strangling Thor with his own intestines, despite. Thor throwing his sword into the sun, or his sword, his hammer into the sun and getting it back, and yeah, no, there's there's some massive destruction going on here, and it seems like he kills Loki for a second, he, I mean, it, it does go back and forth, he throws Loki into the sun, and Loki comes back, and he, he throws Thor onto Midgard, which is just now being rebuilt, I guess, because apparently Midgard was destroyed at some point between then and now. And, yeah, it's it's all recolonizing, but Loki says, you know, I'm going to kill you and Midgard at the same time. Fuck it. And as just as it looked like that's getting ready to go down, sword goes through the back and out the chest of Loki, and that sword belongs to Gore, the motherfucking god butcher. Apparently, just been chilling on Midgard. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know what? Ugh, dude, this, it's going to, ah, oh, man. I really wish this were more in a four-parter, but it's obviously going to just be banger after banger after banger, and then Grand Aaron or Grand Jason Aaron finale. It's brace yourselves, guys. This is going to be big. It is. It's going to be really, really, really big. So hang tight. And that's all I've got for the overviews. That's uh, that's not all the books I read though. That kind of takes me into the honorable mentions section, and it's honorable mentions isn't necessarily other books I read. And just because it's not in the overview section doesn't mean that I disliked it. There just maybe I couldn't find enough to talk about it. Uh, it's yeah, some yeah. Um, I like to fill at least three minutes on a book, and that's really what the honorable mention section is. It's the the books that I couldn't fill at least three minutes on. So let's get on with it. Let's start out with, as I bump my microphone all over the fucking place, uh, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 250. I thought for sure that this would be a book that I would uh, have on the overviews, but as it turned out, yet so much. Um, 
it's an oversized issue. It, it is actually a key issue. Some stuff goes down in it. It's Miles' birthday, and then Ultimatum shows up. Now, the thing is, another reason why I chose to not particularly talk about this book is because I'm confused as fuck. Apparently, Ultimatum is also Miles Morales, and Miles Morales, who at times goes back and forth between a white guy and a black guy, the way he's drawn. I don't... I, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, it's, I was confused. At the end, I was like, oh, he's black? Because I didn't... <laughs> this is the first few times they showed him. It very much doesn't... Yeah, I don't know. I'm, the art in this was just off, is what I'm saying. Uh, that's not the writer's fault at all. What it came down to, I was I was just confused. I, I, I wasn't sure what I was getting out of this. And when I'm confused, uh, it's, it's hard for me to get excited about something. So, uh, yes, there is a first appearance. There's some multiverse action happening in here. This devil beast green character thing that's on the cover that you see here apparently is Norman Osborn. That's the Green Goblins. I don't know. I'm, I'm confused, so I didn't talk about it. Uh, Captain Marvel, number 10. I don't read Captain Marvel. Um, I was going to try to jump on this 8, 9, 10 arc, and I, I, I read 8. I'm meh. But I still got 9 and 10. I guess really mainly because of the Marks Brooks covers. Maybe this should be more of a wall book section than honorable mentions. But I guess I do have intentions on reading or finishing the 8, 9, 10 art. Because apparently some shit goes down in this. Then Captain Marvel fights Star or some shit. I don't know. But I'm slightly interested. I just wasn't prioritized is all. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Prodigal Sun, number one. Uh, I'm gonna, now, okay, now that I've got all three, I might actually read all three of them. I'm not sure what this is all supposed to lead into. Uh, there was a Silver Surfer, there was a Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think there was a, a Fantastic Four, were the three one-shots that were all this prodigal sun story. So, I don't know, I'm, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. I'll get to it eventually. Uh, the Image Honorable Mentions, Coffin Bound, number two. Uh, the reason why this one went into the honorable mentions is because I'm not sure if I'm going to be... I mean, it sounds bad when I say it like that. I really enjoyed the first issue, but the second issue, I just... It kind of lost me for a minute. So I like to give things... If I enjoy the first issue and not the second issue, I try to at least give everything three issues. So I'm going to pick up issue three and see what happens with Coffin Bound. I know Dan Waters is awesome at uh, horror, for sure. Uh, Lucifer, enough said. Uh, and this Danny character on the art, very, very, very visually appealing. I really like the character Man or Earth Eater uh, an awful lot. I really like that that character design. It's just this one seems super fillery. I, I didn't get anything out of this one. It seemed it was introducing a lot of characters that I'm not sure that we need to be attached to. It's a bit of an overload without a whole lot of information, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I'm going to give it a third or a third shot. Nothing against... Not bad. Not bad. Just confused me is all. I didn't know what to talk about. From Scout Comics, Midnight Sky, number one. Uh, I've been enjoying everything I've read out of Scout so far. And, uh, unfortunately, I... I didn't get around to reading this one. Uh, the description was like an Invasions of the Body Snatcher type of thing. So I just I just didn't have time is all it came down to. I have every intention. I dig Scout. There was just 
quite a few indie books this week. Uh, Chainsaw Reindeer from Action Lab Danger Zone. Uh, <laughs> this this was a book that involved a reindeer and a chainsaw, and everybody dies. Thumbs. Number, what are they at? Four. Yeah. Uh, this is a book, I read the first issue, and then I skimmed through the second issue, and skimming through the second issue, I thought, oh, I'm going to read all this when it's done, because I know it's a six-parter. So stay tuned for Thumbs to be featured on a uh, uh, fuck, a trade negotiations. That's what I'm trying to say. So yeah, now this one will be talked about to completion, one through six, eventually. From Boom Studios, Ronin Island, number six. I still need to find issue number two. <laughs> when I get to number two, I'll keep going. Uh, I, I enjoyed the first... Or I'm sorry, it's issue number three that I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed the first two issues quite a bit, and somehow uh, when issue three came out, instead of issue three being in my box, uh, there was a second print of issue two. <laughs> Whoopsie doodle, it happens. Um, not a big deal. I didn't notice. Uh, but the fact is, I'm can't just skip an issue. So I, I'm, yeah. We'll see where Ronan Island's going. I, I really, maybe I could find it. I bet you I could find a, a review copy to get my hands on. No, the shoot that does it for honorable mentions actually. So by no means was any of that stuff bad. That's not why it's on the honorable mentions. That's just stuff that I couldn't fill a few minutes on. So. I uh, there was I, I spent some time reading some books, but I also spent some time enjoying some covers, and that leads me into the wall books. This is the stuff that I buy strictly for the cover art. And uh, let's let's start out with Daredevil. Daredevil did one of them immortal wraparound variant covers that I told myself don't buy into it because for one, it's because it's a wraparound cover. I don't know how to hang it without you know, really compromising the integrity of the comic itself. And I'm not going to fuck up a comic just so I can look at it better. So, um, but despite all that, despite this, I don't really, I mean, not having the solution to be able to display a wall book, I really, really, really enjoyed this variant. I mean, out of all of the Immortal variants, this one probably takes the cake, because I like the Red Daredevil, and the, the Yellow Daredevil, and the Blindfolded Daredevil, and Matt Murdock's a swell guy, too, so having all of them in that manner, and, oh, man, that's, oh, and by the way, that cover's done by Koi Fawn and uh, Romulo Fajardo, so, uh, good, good shit. You got me. Daredevil got me on the Immortal variants. Uh, Vent Leviathan had a badass uh, cover, so finally some DCs got me back into the variant covers again. That's not Catwoman. Uh, who did this variant cover? It's a Leviathan cover that's got... Uh, oh, shit, Ollie and Batman. Oh, it's uh, Carrie Andrews. I knew that. Yeah, no, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful cover. Um, yeah, I don't know how to describe this. This is <laughs> It's going to display nicely. I can tell you that much. The last wall book of the week is a Catwoman cover. And I'm just going to come out and say it. Probably the cover of the year at this point. Who did it? Art Germ. This is, I believe, Art Germ's last Catwoman cover. So out of the 15 issues, I think he did 13 variant covers. I own all of them. And they are all displayed proudly. And if you were a fan of the Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman at all, uh, it was, 
Special, special for me, that's for sure. <laughs> nah, it was, uh, fuck, this book is good. This, this cover is amazing. It, it, it looks photographed, it really does. It, this, this looks like a scene, a, a screenshot out of Batman Returns. It's, it's incredible. And I think that goes without saying, my pick of the week, cover of the week, goes to Catwoman. It's just hands down. Yes, there was some good stuff. The Absolute Carnage Deadpool covers from Kirkham have been amazing. Uh, I, you just heard me getting all gooey over over the, the Daredevil wraparound. But despite my, my scoffing at uh, Art Germ bandwagoners, I love me some Art Germ Catwoman. I don't think there's anybody out there that's ever drawn Catwoman as attractively as Art Germ has. And he hasn't. He doesn't just do it one way. And my my wall, a good hunk of my wall, is proof of that. So, good on you, Art Germ. Your your Catwoman covers have been fan fucking tastic. If he gets cover of the year two years in a row, <laughs> oh man! All these other cover artists, they have their work cut out for them. That's for damn sure. If they want to beat out this cover, this one just beat out the Matina Spawn cover. The I was yeah I think it was spawn 295. Nope, got a beep. So you know, I'm curious to see what this end of year best of uh, episode ha- yeah what that brings about. Fuck that book is good. Yeah, that cover is amazing. Now my interiors of the week. This one was this one was difficult for me. Uh, <laughs> I. I, I I might have to get yeah no this this goes to Daredevil it does it it was just uh, Chichetto's back fuckers Chichetto is back I uh, <laughs> I don't I I I I thought it was too good to be true when he was when it was announced that him and Zarsky were teaming up for Daredevil of all titles and then he went away and there was no sign of him coming back at least that I was aware of I don't read the previews to be fair. Or at least the Marvel and DC previews. I only read the indie previews. So if it was you know solicited, then great. Um, shame on my ignorance. But I think my ignorance just made this so much better. <laughs> it, it really did. Um, the only it was it was it was brilliant. And the Detective Comics almost got Interiors of the Week just because of that smile, uh, that Batman smile. I'm gonna fucking go on about again. But as far as overall, it's just so exciting to have Chichetto back on Daredevil. So, yeah, uh, Interiors of the Week. Story of the Week, this one was real tough. Uh, man, the the indies really brought it. I, I, Outer Darkness was way the fuck up there for me. Banjax was incredible. Uh, I mean, you would think Jason Aaron and King Thor would be a shoo-in for me. But Venom takes it, man. Venom, I, uh, after careful consideration, Venom gets book of the week. Uh, I, I, and I think the 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 determining factor of that was the motherfucking Avengers. Uh, yeah, I, I think that was when I was really trying to give everything a fair shot and consider it all. I remembered, whoops, the Avengers were in this one, and in a badass manner. So, uh, get excited, fuckers, get excited. And, uh, yeah, no, th- those are my picks of the week. That was all the, the stuff that, that tickled my fancy. 
And, uh, yeah, no, that's really all I got to talk about. But I would like to remind you nerds of some things. This podcast has been brought to you by WestCoastGeek.com. Shop at WestCoastGeek.com for all of your geek merchandise. And it's they, they do not discriminate. There's amazing, amazing action figures that I'm fixing to pick up myself here real soon, especially a Wolverine one. Uh... The, the t-shirts and all the apparel on there, the backpacks, it's just, it's it's not your typical Kmart type of shit, guys. It's not. And it's not shit at all. It's, 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 mm, it's good. Uh, and the carrying comics as well, so why not pick up a fucking comic or two, huh? Westcoastgeek.com. And when you do that, this is the most important part. Use code Cheers to Comics. Going to save you 20%. So at checkout, Cheers to Comics, save yourself 20%. And uh, with all that, I believe it has been a podcast. I'd like to remind you all to reach out to me when you do. Do it on Twitter, at Cheers to Comics. I have an Instagram as well, Cheers to Comics Podcast on Instagram, but it's not nearly as informative as my uh, my Twitter feed. And, uh, yeah, it's the best place to communicate if you guys have things that you want me to talk about, stuff that I haven't been touching on that you want to hear more of on the podcast. I'm I'm more than willing and accepting to those ideas. So just hit me up on Twitter saying, Oh, you don't talk about this good. And I'll put a little bit more effort into it, knowing that you listen to it. And uh, it also helps me by by leaving ratings. You know, for all you iTunes listeners out there, uh, your, your, your feedback is very important. It helps the growth of this show. iTunes and Apple and those monsters get to... Uh, they, they, they see that feedback and... It, it, they, they acknowledge it, and yeah, it all works full circle. So, uh, yeah, I'll do all that. And last but not least, support on Patreon. I like money, and I really like the money of my fans because, once again, it acknowledges my the, the, the work I put into this, and that work just it, it'll only get better with uh, fundage. You know, I put everything I can into this, and it, there's there's so much room for growth. There is, and you could do that with your help. And there's tons of tiers to choose from. There's tiers that eventually end up having me send you out variants every month. You know, you send me a few bucks, I send you out a book. <laughs> bucks for books. I think that's just how the market works to begin with. That's not any new concept, bucks for books. <laughs> you get the idea. So... The, the gist is, is I appreciate your support. Uh, Westcoastgeek.com, Twitter, Patreon. Yeah, it, it's been a podcast, guys. I really do appreciate your time and listening, and uh, you fuckers read responsibly. Cheers. So you're obviously into listening to podcasts, and if you're not, uh, you're clearly lost because this is a podcast, and you've taken a wrong turn on the internet somewhere. So, for all you podcast listeners out there, uh, I'm here to inform you that you can actually be getting paid to listen to this. This is all through a fancy app called PodCoin. Download the PodCoin app and use referral code COMICS. And get yourself 300 coins to get started. What do you do with these coins? These coins can be used to obtain certain things like gift certificates and other valuable things that you would use 
in your day-to-day -day life. Or if you're of the more charitable sort, you could rack up these coins and give them to certain charitable organizations. And, uh, yeah, warm your heart that way, just by doing the things that you would normally be doing anyways, and that would be listening to the Cheers to Comics podcast. So, um, hop on the PodCoin app, New Year's Year's Code Comics, and start earning immediately. 